welcome to Act Your Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. I'm Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we are talking about Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell. Uh, before we get into the book itself, uh, one of the things we want to do at the kind of top of every episode is take a few minutes to talk about things that we um, are, are interested in, things that are kind of piquing our interest. Um, I guess you could say things that we are fangirling over um, outside of the book we're talking about today. And um, so Tasia, is there something that you are really into right now? Yeah. Um, thanks to you and friend of the pod, Jesse. Last week I read Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas. And it's, I don't want to get too much into it because it's something that we're going to be talking about, spoiler alert, in a couple weeks. Um, But it's great and you should definitely read it for spooky season and for the podcast coming up. But yeah, uh, totally obsessed with that. Also, I finally recently started watching season two of Umbrella Academy and, uh, you know, Klaus's Bay. So I have never watched that show, but everyone loves it and I should watch it. Is it you know, I wasn't that keen. Like I, well, first of all, like the the soundtrack is unparalleled. It's great. The music is great, um, and it has good parts. There were there was a lot of season one that I just didn't, I didn't get that into it, which is why I think it took me so long to watch season two. Mm-hmm. But so far, season two, I'm almost done with it. Season two is, uh, it's real good. Okay, cool. So how about you? So I'm currently reading the last book in the winter night trilogy by Catherine Arden, which was a wreck that you gave me. And I have kind of stalled in my book three read because you had warned me of, of the emotions to come with reading it. And it's totally <laughs> true, like from the get, but it's um, a really cool um, Russian fairy tale inspired um, trilogy, a really great female protagonist. Um, maybe we'll talk about it someday here. Um, um, a, a dark haired love interest who is very like mystical, which is something that you and I are always really <laughs> into. Um, so we, uh, that's been really fun, but I'm like kind of dreading finishing it cause A, I don't want it to be over and B, you told me that it's going to like wreck havoc on my emotions. So um, it's going to, but it's going to in very good ways too. Okay. So, okay. Well, uh, I try, I trust you implicitly with, with <laughs> basically any book recommendations you've never led me astray before. Um, and then Another thing that I'm really into right now is I'm currently listening to uh, the audiobook of Jane Eyre as narrated by Tandy Newton. Um, I'm newer to audiobooks generally. Um, I just have a hard time concentrating on them, but I figured with a classic, it would be good to listen to it um, just because the language can be a barrier sometimes. And she is fabulous. I'm really feeling the story. I can't remember actually if I've ever read the book before, but it was in the play in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But she just does a fabulous job and it's, you know, it's a Gothic novel and it's very good for, for spooky season two. And the narration really gets to that, that feeling kind of like underlying like pervasive dread, um, which is kind of classic in Gothic novels. So I'm really, I'm really enjoying that. Um, She does a great job. And so those are the two things I'm really into right now. Nice. I haven't read Jane Eyre since probably high school, but uh, I remember liking it. I should reread it. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, I'm, I am really enjoying it. And there are so many really great um, audiobooks of of classics these days. And yeah, maybe the first of many for me. 
<laughs> so we'll see. So with that, uh, yeah, talk about Fangirl. <laughs> In case anyone hasn't read it and they're still listening along anyway, they don't care about spoilers or if it's been a while since you read it, we thought we'd start with a summary of what yep. happens in Fangirl. So why don't you take that one? All right. So in Fangirl, Kath Avery isn't just a Simon Snow fan. Simon Snow is her life. Kath and her twin sister, Ren, were super entrenched in the Simon Snow fandom, which helped them cope with their mother leaving them at an early age and their father's bipolar disorder. Kath has even become one of the most popular Simon Snow fanfic writers on the internet. But when she and Ren start their freshman year at the University of Nebraska, Ren, who is much more outgoing, pulls away from the closed-off Kath, leaving Kath feeling more alone and adrift than ever. Kath's surly roommate, Reagan, doesn't help matters much, and Reagan's always present and overly nice boyfriend, Levi, is too much to handle. On top of it all, Kath struggles to write her own epic, epic conclusion to the Simon Snow series before the final book is published. She finds some solace in her creative writing course and a new creative writing partner, but just when Kath starts treading water, everything falls further apart. She submits a Simon Snow fanfic as an assignment, and her professor accuses her of plagiarism. Her writing partner steals her work. Ren pushes her further away, even mocking her love of Simon. She gets closer and closer to Levi, only to have him kiss another girl, and her dad is hospitalized following a manic episode. Kath almost doesn't return to school, but when she does, she allows herself to begin to open up to Levi, who accepts everything about her, including her love for Simon. After Ren's self-destructive behavior lands her in the hospital, Kath and Ren finally make amends. With both Levi and Ren's support, Kath rushes toward finishing her epic conclusion to Simon's story, though she is still resistant to completing a unique work of fiction for her creative writing course. As the semester winds down and the publication date for the last Simon book draws closer, Kath ultimately chooses to set aside her fic and focus on her own work of fiction, which is inspired by her own life. While Simon will always be there for her, it's time for Kath to start coming out of her shell and becoming her own person. Ooh, that's fangirl. That's fangirl. Um, yeah, a lot happens in this book, and there's a lot of layers to this story. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting we should highlight before we kind of dive into this is the structure of the book is mostly told, you know, it's Kath's story, but sometimes between chapters, um, we get glimpses of this Simon Snow story. And we reference this in our introduction episode, but the Simon Snow story is very much a stand-in for Harry Potter. Um, there are eight Simon Snow books versus seven Harry Potter books, um, but it's very much a chosen one story. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's it's kind of cool because you get um, occasionally like a, a passage that either will be attributed to one of the quote-unquote Simon Snow books, or you actually get snippets of Kath's thick that she writes and posts online. Um, her username is Magicath. Um, so you get you get cl- glimpses of that story as you move through the novel, which is really interesting. Um, and then I, I think one of the things that's also important to mention is that the fic that uh, that Kath is writing is is uh, taking an alternative view of what the Simon So series is putting out. And she is particularly interested in Simon's relationship with Baz, who is his nemesis. Um, and she, from Kath's perspective and a lot of people on the internet's perspective, um, even though they antagonize each other and they are sworn enemies, she believes that that is, is code for them actually being in love with each other. Um, and so this is very, also a very clear um, depiction of a big thing within the Harry Potter fandom, which is 
dreary, dreary. shapers. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to talk about what dreary is? It, it's it's Draco. Yeah, uh, it's Draco and Harry. And Harry. Um, a lot of people ship them. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's one of the biggest ships in the entire Harry Potter universe. There's you know thousands of fanfic written about them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely a stand-in for Harry and Draco. Yeah. And so it, it's, and it's really, it, it's, it's funny because it, again, the parallels are so close. Like she talks about how in one book, Simon is like stalking Daz and is obsessed with his whereabouts. And oh yeah. And it's is. a total parallel to like book five or whatever, when a uh, oh, book yeah. six, when a uh, Harry is stalking Draco all over the place. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I actually think, yeah, it's still a really popular fandom i saw somewhere recently um ao3 which is archive of our own which is one of the biggest fanfic sites um dreary is still you know however many years after those books are done one of like the top 10 ships that are posted about um, yeah. on ao3 so uh it's very clear that rainbow Rowell drew from that i think we know from um like following her on twitter and stuff that she really likes fan fiction. I mean, she wouldn't have written this book if she doesn't like fan fiction, but I think that she, I don't know if she either wrote a lot of dreary stuff back in the day or read it, um, but it's it's very clearly about that. Um, So that's kind of the context of of what Kath is trying to do. So she's trying to write her own ending before the final Simon Snow book comes out. And she wants redemption for Baz and she wants them to declare their love for each other um and obviously that doesn't happen for draco and harry in harry potter um and as we find out in the book does not happen for simon and baz either but um kath wants to put that version out into the world yeah so um so i guess on that that's a good place to start talking about like kind of the first thing we want to talk about with this book which is fan fiction generally and uh, kath's relationship to it and in how how she relates to it and why she's so into it well um there's an interesting part uh towards the beginning of the book where she is in her first creative writing class and um her professor asks the class at large you know why do we write and kath of course is a extreme introvert and she doesn't you know offer her opinion but as she thinks to herself she's you know it's to disappear when she thinks about why she writes um, Simon and Baz and, you know, specifically is, you know, to disappear, to be somewhere else. Yeah. And she talks about like, you know, to be somewhere else, to be like, to be free of ourselves, which is somewhat alarmist. Um, yeah. But I, I get it. And it's, you know, it's one of those things for me that, I mean, we both read a good about a fan fiction. Um, I don't write it to you. Right. I have written it, but not a lot. Yeah. But I think it's, it's really something that is, is a comfort in a lot of ways because it's familiar characters. Um, and it, it's something that, you know, you're, you're just innately comfortable with. Um, and that's a lot of the reason why like I read it. Like I read a lot for bad because it's like, soothing to me. Yeah. Um, so- and it's the alternate, a lot, you know, I think, most of it is is kind of the alternate version of something that it's how you wish it would have happened in the book or in the show or whatever. Um, so you kind of get that ending that you want. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's totally comforting. And Kath also mentions later in the book that, um, you know, 
writing fan fiction is easy, easier for her than writing original fiction because it's an already established world. So you don't have to go through all that world building. So it's like the same when you're reading fan fiction, you don't have to, you know, read 300 pages of exposition and world building. You already, you're already familiar with it. You already know what's there, what to expect, you know, the characters. So it's a really easy, comforting read. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I, I, that is like really compelling to me about this story and why she is so into it and why I relate to her, I guess, it's, it's like, I feel that way, obviously about fan fiction, but I feel that way about just books a lot too, is like this escapism, this comfort, these different worlds. Um, and it's, it's totally something that, you know, I seek out and I, I get why Kath gets really into it. Um, I think also for Kath too, it's a control thing. I think that she does not have a lot of control in her own life or doesn't feel like she has control. Yeah. And that's something we're going to get into as well, talking about the the depictions of mental illness and everything in this book. Uh, Kath has very bad anxiety and, you know, like what you said about control, that's, you know, uh, like a symptom of that, you know? Right. No, totally. I mean, I, I'm a very anxious person. I always have been. And I, I see this within myself too. Right. You want to control what you can because you feel like you can't control anything. Absolutely. And it's why I turn to fan fiction or why I even turn to books is, is something that I can control. And and it's a a finite um, place that like the, the, the page, is like a, a finite boundary to what I'm experiencing and it, I, I, nothing outside of that can come in and, and, and hurt me in any way. Um, I right. think there's like totally a reason why like this year in particular, I've read like double the books that I read last year. It's because I wonder why I'm so anxious this year. Yeah. Um, but like, what's, what's going it, on with this year, Corinne? I don't, I don't know. understand. Yeah. But I, I, so I like totally, I feel for her so much, you know, she's craving, this sense of control um, mm-hmm. in her life and, and fit gives her um, that ability to, to do that. Um, so I, I think too, like one of the things she talks about at some point when she's discussing fanfic is, you know, the idea of uh, creating something versus nothing out of nothing is very daunting compared to sticking with what, you know, mm-hmm. which is again a, a, a thing that's unique to fan fiction is that um, you're you're playing in in a pool that you're already very familiar with. You're yeah, you're engaging with characters that you're already really familiar with, and so I I, I totally get and understand the appeal of why she does it. Right, and another thing with fiction too is it's it feels like a safe space to. Um, like feel feel your emotions, you know, and deal with your emotions because like Kath, for example, and I'm really similar to her in this way, um, you know, she she writes all this romance and she loves all this romance, but, you know, the concept of romance in reality for her is a foreign one. Like she doesn't, you know, in practice, it's not real, but she can feel, she allows herself to feel these things when reading and writing fiction that she doesn't really allow herself to get into in reality. Yeah. Like it's easier to make Simon and Baz do things that she's too scared to do in her own life right. 
which is why I, like I text you while we were both reading this. I was like, is there, am I supposed to be like comparing Kath to either one of them in like, is it supposed to be an allegory? Like the, how uh, rainbow like raise lays out their story compared to how Kath's journey progresses. I don't know that there's a one-to-one correlation, but you know, she's writing this like redemption arc for the villain or one of the villains of the story. And mm-hmm. it, I'm not, I'm not sure that she's trying to like seek redemption for anything that she's done, but it's definitely um, at least establishing a confidence that she doesn't necessarily have in yeah. her own life. Um, so yeah, there's all sorts of things to talk about with that. And, you know, she, it's really interesting to see how she kind of progresses with that. But um, I think what's also interesting though, that this book touches on not just the clear way in which Kath uses fandom as an escapism, but it also does talk about like other people's reactions to the fact that she's so into this fandom, um, which is something I think like a lot of people struggle with, particularly when you're young and you're making the transition from childhood to adulthood, but also just, I think in everyday life, I mean, I think we, again, we're both older, but we also, you know, engaged with a lot of fandom and we met in the Slack for a Game of Thrones podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Like we obviously are, are into those things, but you know, there's a lot of negativity that comes to that. And Kath gets it from a lot of people in this book. Right. Most people's first reaction to hearing that she writes fan fiction is to laugh. And she doesn't really share that she does that with many people for that reason. Right. Um, and even though, you know, fandom and, and nerd culture is becoming more accepted these days, fan fiction is still kind of a thing that people feel embarrassed about admitting to writing or reading. Um, that's starting to change too. But yeah, it is something that people have felt the need to kind of keep to themselves. Yeah, it's it and like we should like mention too, you know, Kath, it's not like she's just writing this and it's internalized. Like she moves into her dorm room and she's got posters and she has like Yeah. She wears the shirts like every day. Yeah, she's she has got, like, like commemorative busts. Yeah. <laughs> and like so her roommate who we mentioned in the summary is her name's Reagan and she's a junior who is forced to live with this freshman because she um, has a scholarship that requires her to live in the dorms and they're like over um, overcrowded. And so she gets stuck with Kath. And so she's dealing with this upperclassman who's comes in and she just has this poor young girl who just has all this, you know, Simon Snow stuff all over the wall. So she, you know, it's, I obviously, feel some sympathy for her. I, I, I love her uh, commitment to the fandom, but also I'm like, yeah, friend, not making it <laughs> as easy on yourself as you could be here. Um, but at the same time, the way that she embraces it is, is really refreshing. Um, Very relatable. Yeah. And I think one of, one of the hard things in this book is, you know, the idea of how when you grow up and you're, you, you know, society or whatever expects you to move, move on, um, how do you maintain your connection to those interests? And that's something Kath really struggles with. Um, Ren, her twin sister, uh, used to be her writing partner. They would write 
this fan fiction together. Their room at home still has all their posters and everything up. Um, but as before they even get to college, Ron has started to pull away from that. Um, is very much into like going out and, and partying versus Kath, you know, staying home and continuing to try to work on her Simon Snow fic. And at one point when Ren is really drunk, she makes some really mean comments about so mean. Ren is the meanest drunk. Yeah, she likes just makes some comments about like she makes fun of Kath for like being so into to Simon and Baz. I forget exactly what she says, but that's something and a surface level it is very mean I think there's like this weird trend in books where there's like twins and one of them is one awful. of them is terrible yeah there's several books that are like this that <laughs> we comes to mind I was like I don't understand that I'm an only child so I don't like sibling relationships are fascinating to me but I just cannot imagine that if you have a twin an identical twin that you just like turn on right. her in that way but they Nicole have friends yeah so um <laughs> but yeah so they like Ren and I think it kind of comes from like which is totally understandable Ren's desire to be independent a little bit from her sister I mean when you're a twin you don't have any other siblings you've shared a room for 18 years of your life you've shared you know the same outfits and clothes and the same interests and you've written together like you know it's understandable that she wants to kind of explore her own identity outside of being a twin Mm -hmm. and um unfortunately her you know she it kind of leads her down down a path of uh, self destruction. Yeah, but yeah, and we'll, yeah. yeah, we'll talk about how they like both handle like their issues with their parents um, in a little bit. But I think it for Kath in terms of like her interests in fandom, it's really you know on the surface level, obviously, it's very distressing that her twin has just kind of abandoned her in this. Yeah. But then it also really kind of draws to mind the idea of like should you still be into these things and, you know, should you hang on to these interests that you've had since childhood and um, whether or not it's healthy to do so. Right. I think eventually the book strikes a really good balance between those things. Uh, When it starts off, Kath is probably a little too consumed with her fandom stuff, you know, to the detriment of everything else in her life, her relationships, her schoolwork, um, and by the end, she comes to a more even place where she can still love the things that she loves and, um, but, but, you know, come to a place where she's more of her own person as well. Right. And I think that's why this book has always really kind of stuck with me since I read it. Um, it's hard as, as someone who, again, this is a Harry Potter like allegory. It, it, I grew up with that series too. And I actually like the last Harry Potter book for me came out the summer after my freshman year of college. So just like Kath waiting for the last um, Simon Snow book, it's, it's very similar. So it, I do feel like I feel very intensely as, uh, as Kath says about how to like maintain that balance and struggle. And, you know, it's something that, Eventually, yes, I've found a balance, you know, however many years later where I still have these things that I'm really interested in, but it, it is something you have to like kind of uh, come to terms with at some point in your life. I think I probably took more of like the run approach of just kind of cutting off a lot of that um, when I was younger versus thinking further back into it like Kath does, but um, it's, it, it's just, it's again, it's super relatable to yeah. me. It's, it is a balance that everyone's like still trying to figure out. Well, especially in 
these darkest of times right now where, you know, that escapism is, you know, a lifeline. Right. Definitely. Um, and I think one of the things that is, is great in particular about Levi, um, who is the ultimate love interest in this book is that Levi is just, he, he does make some comments about, like he doesn't understand. He doesn't know what it is. Um, he, does say at one point too, like because essentially Kath is writing this this gay couple, um, this queer couple, and you know he he thinks that that means it's like racy or um, right. His automatic assumption sexual. is that it's dirty. Right, she's writing dirty fan fiction. Right, which is a hundred is is a thing. It's totally yeah. a thing. He's yeah. not wrong, but um, he, it, he he eventually you know realizes by like getting Kath to read him some of her fan fiction that it is its own separate thing and it, it is this creative outlet that's really important and he he's never really judgmental of it which is one of the reasons why he's he's great yeah um, yeah he's very he's very accepting of it once he knows what it is and i mean how many people are going to you know lay there and listen to you read them your fan fiction yeah so that's a keeper. Yeah, for sure. It, it's helpful that he has, um, he's seen the movies. He's not read mm-hmm. the books. Um, so he's interested and he like knows the stories really well. But um, I think it is important to, you know, find those, those people that are accepting of right. you and, and your interests. And-, and he also lightly teases her about it, which I think is also kind of good because he gives her a little bit of um, uh, perspective, you know, when she's, getting really distracted by thinking she she absolutely needs to finish this eighth year um, Simon Snow fan fiction that she's been working on for like a year and ignoring her other assignments for it. You know, she's supposed to be writing this original piece of fiction mm-hmm. and she's like, no, 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 this is more important. And he gives her a little bit of perspective on that. So while yes, he absolutely understands and accepts her and her love of Simon Snow and her fan fiction, he also kind of grounds her. Yeah, a little bit in reality. Totally. Um, that's, I think, a good place to kind of segue into talking about one of the things that, again, we mentioned in the summary, which is this creative writing course that Kath is in, um, which she submits a piece of fanfic for. Um, so I guess a little, little bit of ways of background, she applies for and gets into this creative writing seminar, which is taught by like a published author. It's typically for upperclassmen, she, she gets in and she's doing really well in, in the class. Um, and she starts uh, writing with this guy in the class, Nick. Um, they do some writing assignments together. They get paired up at the beginning and then they keep writing together. Um, and eventually she has to submit an assignment. What is it? Like an unreliable narrator. And she right. just, she, to be fair, she does not like take something that she posted years ago online and submit it. She writes, she writes it piece. for this assignment. Yeah. Yeah. From Baz's perspective, because in her mind, Baz as this villain, but not really a villain is the most unreliable of narrators. And she's been doing really well in the class. And then she gets an F on this assignment. Yeah. yeah. Because her professor accuses her of, plagiarism and that like really raises an interesting question as to whether or not fic is plagiarism right so she ends up getting called into the professor's office for the most awkward of confrontations about it uh where 
the professor essentially accuses her of plagiarism. Um, you know, these characters and this world belongs to Gemma T. Leslie, you know, the author of the Simon Snow books. And, um, you know, you've stolen them from her. And of course, this is a con, like, you know, the constant battle of fan fiction versus, you know, plagiarism. And, uh, you know, I do think that when it comes down to it, the professor is wrong because, you know, fan fiction is not illegal. It's not plagiarism. You're not selling something that belongs to somebody else. You're just playing in somebody's sandbox for a minute. But she is right, though, that submitting fan fiction for a fiction piece in a creative writing class, bad move. Yeah, it's it's not, I don't know why I cast thought that that would be it was like okay. the most naive thing right yeah yeah i but i i understand where she's coming from and i do agree with you plagiarism is a really tough word for me because i think that a lot of fic is so different than the source material because you're taking characters and you're putting them in different situations or you're changing their motivations which is 100 percent what she's doing she's not um, writing even, um, I guess we would call it canon compliant fan fiction, which for those who don't know is like sometimes people will write like missing scenes of a, of a story. Um, yeah. try to like something that fits it. within the canon. Yes. Word. Yes. But that's not what she's doing. She has taken her own perspective of Baz. And I think she you know, says at one point, like she adopted Baz, she took Baz on and she's making him his own Thing. Yeah, totally different than what the author Gemma T. Leslie has done, um, and she's taking inspiration from that. And I, and I think that again, this is one of the reasons why like, fic is often, you know, criticized and people look down on it. Um, and it's not fair because there really is a lot of stuff out there that takes characters or story or plot and weaves it into something totally different. I mean, I've read like some novel length stuff that is better than the source material, material oh yeah or, there's like, so much fan fiction out there that is just leagues above so many other things that i've read that are you know quote unquote legitimately published and um in like fan fiction too will it'll take a, a side character from like a, a show or a movie or a book one that wasn't really given characterization or given any kind of interiority and they will make that an actual character yeah and i think that's a really big thing too yeah um, I mean, that's said, I do get what a professor is saying, but then at the same time, I, I think, you know, one of the things that like you said before we started recording, sorry to steal your line here, Tasha, but <laughs> like, you know, everything is plagiarism eventually then if you're going to take that stance. Um, yeah, you know, it is. Like, you know, we, fan fiction and exactly, fan art. Exactly. I mean, you, I, I brought up the example of, you know, the fact that like, you had a, a writing assignment where you had to like re-envision a, like a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I'm like, well, what what do you think that is? I mean, we talked about like, you know, the Little Mermaid. I'm like, okay, so that's a fairy tale that's been around for hundreds of years. Right. And- well, look at like you know Renaissance paintings and stuff. It's all fan art of the Bible. Exactly, and and like even just you know all these chosen one narratives. It's all the same story over and over and over right. again. Everybody's just doing it. the hero's journey. You exactly. Know? So you know, I, I get the professor's point totally. Um, and I, I do appreciate, ultimately, she's trying to push Kath. That's her end goal. You know, she's pushing Kath to to write her own unique works of, of, of fiction. Um, and, and that's very important for Kath to kind of move beyond 
how she uses thick as a crutch. Um, and I think maybe that maybe you could please kind of turn into like the mental health stuff in this book. Yeah. Um, so as we kind of mentioned at, uh, a few times throughout, you know, Kath is just such a little anxious baby. I, I feel for her. Severe, I, severe I anxiety like yeah. to the point where, and it's funny because, you know, online when she's talking to her thousands and thousands of fans and she's writing, you know, this huge piece of fan fiction, uh, she's so confident. She's so sure of herself um, and lighthearted, you know, and then, but in reality, she can't even change in her own room for fear of, you know, her roommate walking in on her. She changes in the bathroom. She won't eat in the cafeteria because she doesn't really know where it is or how it works. So she's not going to try and she won't eat in her room when her roommate is there. She will grab her food and go eat in the bathroom or something. Yeah, her, her anxiety yeah. is is pretty bad. Yeah. And like at one point, Reagan, her roommate, who's just kind of a flitting presence for the beginning part of the you know, first semester there, she's in, she's out, and she's like very sarcastic and uh, blunt. Um, but finally at one point she says to Kath, like, do you have an eating disorder? And she's like, why don't – you all you eat are protein bars like we found your protein bars she just has a stash of them in her room and it's all she's a big jar of peanut butter yeah and then Kath's like she's like why don't you come to the cafeteria and Kath is like I don't know where it is Reagan's like you've been here over a month like you haven't been to the cafeteria um and you know I pulled this quote because it just it breaks my heart but it it rings so true you know Kath could already feel the anxiety starting to tear her stomach into nervous little pieces it's not just that I don't like new places new situations there'll be all these people and I don't I won't know where to sit I don't want to go so she's just it's the most relatable thing. It's like so, the most. It's so relatable, but it is totally to another another level um, in terms of her just like staying in the room all the time. And then eventually Reagan, um, Reagan's great, by the way. I love Reagan. She yeah. like forces her to go to eat with her in the cafeteria. And eventually, you know, Kath gains enough cat confidence to go, even if Reagan's not there with her. Um, but yeah, so sh- she has definitely definite anxiety here and we kind of you know talked about when we're talking about fic but she totally submerses herself in her fic I I think because she cannot handle a lot of things in in her life um and also it gives her this control that she doesn't have which I think turns into you know the issues that her parents have so right so her dad um we don't know in the beginning of the book that he has bipolar disorder but there is a very clear anxiety that Kath is feeling regarding her father and leaving him for college. Um, She notices he's got some tics, like, you know, shaking his foot and, you know, not making eye contact and getting nervous. Um, And her anxiety is very clearly tied to his. Um, When he starts feeling it, she starts feeling it, you know, she ends up calling her dad obsessively to check on him, you know, while ignoring her own, life things. Yeah. And she also has a lot of anxiety, not just about her dad, who they've, her and Ren, when they're home, have, you know, they've gotten good at knowing when he's teetering towards the end or at the edge of a manic episode. Um, they know when to call for help from their grandma, from their aunt, whatever, when, when he gets 
in a particularly bad spot and she's really he's been hospitalized more than once and they've essentially and kath especially had to take on this kind of caregiver role for their father where they're constantly monitoring his his mental status yeah and then on top of that you know not only does she have that anxiety about him but then her anxiety turns into like i'm like him you know that is her big concern she's she has all these feelings about herself that you know i i'm 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 also, I don't like using the word crazy, but they use it in this book. So I'm going to use it, that she's also crazy that she, you know, mm-hmm. is going to end up like her dad. And she has this discussion with Bren at this fight at one point in the book um, about, you know, the fact that she's going to end up like her dad. And it breaks my heart. And on top of that, well, Ren says something pretty terrible in regards to that, where she's just like, you know, you and dad are choosing to feel this way you are choosing to not get over it you you know and that's yeah so a lot of these problems are very much interrelated to the fact that uh running cast mom um left them when they were little um i think they were like eight she yeah, actually eight. left them on september 11th which is like another layer of um <laughs> awful <fucked-upness. laughs> yeah totally um so, you know, Ren and Kath have internalized this and in, in kind of taken two separate, like not conscious approaches, but they're, they're handling it in, in different, completely different ways. Um, Ren, I think in that same conversation says like, I, I refuse to let this break me. I'm not going to let it break me. And Kath is, again, she feels herself crumbling inward. Um, so it's definitely, it sets them on two different paths. Yeah. And Kat says something really good kind of in response to that too, where she's like, you know, did you think that this had no effect on you? Like, like the impact was on my side of the car and you, you know, you get to walk away free. Like that, that doesn't work like that. Right. And I just, I find that all, it, it's such an interesting way to look at, I guess, trauma and how you handle these effects in your life because, you know, run acts like she has her stuff together, but she doesn't either. They're both are taking unhealthy approaches, just very, Mm -hmm. very different unhealthy approaches to these issues that they have. I think Kath has internalized it and Ren has externalized it. Correct. Yeah. And for Ren, her breaking point is getting hospitalized for alcohol poisoning, essentially. Mm -hmm. And that they both, it's really interesting to see both of their reactions to it. And I, 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 I see myself in, in both of them. I think when I was younger, I was probably more of a run and now I'm absolutely, (laughs) I mean, I, how much of like how kids act in college is just like the freedom of it versus like actually trying to like move past shit that they've had to deal with in their lives. Um, and I think for, for run, it's, it's definitely more that she is, is trying to and failing to deal with, and these issues. And, and that's, again, really relatable right now. I mean, you read about all these studies of people like dealing with this mess of a year, like increased drinking, you know. It, oh, it, yeah, totally. So, you know, it's, it, again, something that rings true no matter, you know, college age or not. Like, it, these are just like very common things. And I think, you know, they're handled, I think, really well, ultimately. Um, I think I do, yeah, I think I've rarely ever seen such a an accurate depiction of anxiety in a book. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I don't know if I've ever felt it like that before. That it just I saw so much of myself in it. Yeah, no, it's it it does really 
really ring true in a lot of ways. And it, it also internalizes just, a, you know, a lot of people have issues with their parents and, you know, I, you know, whether it's early in life that things have happened or like potentially later in life, you know, I like parental care is something that most people have to deal with at some point in their lives, whether or not they're, you know, freshman in college or, or later in life. And, um, seeing these two girls have to deal with that is, is really interesting to see. And, you know, they ultimately kind of do all work out of good balance and, you know, their dad gets out of the hospital and, you know, realizes that he needs help and like leans on other family members instead of leaning on his kids. And realizes that he, yeah, exactly. And, And that he needs to pay more attention to their mental and emotional states because, you know, Ren was there the whole time, just completely downward spiraling and he didn't even notice. So he becomes more active, involved parent, you know? Yeah. But what I think what really is special, you know, obviously we relate to both Kath and Ren and, and how their experience is kind of formed by these issues in their life. But I think the, how, Kath ultimately like, comes to terms with them, comes to terms with them, and starts to grow is what really makes this book special. I think you know she, and I think there's a couple different reasons for it, right? So you know, I I don't think we can talk about it without talking about Levi more. Um, yeah, you know, so I'm actually first of all I have to say I'm really proud of us for how much we are reining it in on our Levi discussions. I know right it's now. taken it it's taken us this long to. <laughs> to get to him yeah because levi is just a dream he's like really he's such a good boy he is such a good boy he's just such a good boy i mean with a few yeah there's some caveats but like yeah you know i one of the things i was when i was thinking about this book is you know i love a female protagonist who like goes on her own journey and grows because of her own personal progress Mm and always love when it's tied to a guy i do think this and Kath's um, development throughout this book is really heavily tied to Levi, but I I don't know about you. I don't mind it. And the reason I don't mind it is because Kath has huge trust issues. Her mom Mm -hmm. abandoned her. She talks about it all the time. And she says at one point, you know, I don't trust anybody, not anybody. The more I care about someone, the more I'm sure they're going to get tired and take off. And that, in or I don't know, Well, I think it needs to be tied to Levi kind of, doesn't it? Because she needs to have somebody to go through that with in order to work through her, her traumas and her anxieties. She needs that experience with him. Totally. I don't know how you can get past, I don't, again, I'm not, I have no like psychology background or or anything, but I don't know how you can kind of get past trust issues without ultimately learning to trust someone. Right. And Levi is is great because he is he he's deserving of that trust and he there's again some caveats in there you know he uh he overall he works really hard to earn that trust like he understands kath on a level that a lot of people don't a lot of people don't bother to because she's mm-hmm. so closed off and she's got such a a big wall up that um you know he really works for it and he really earns that trust yeah. Eventually. Yeah. I mean, he does have the issue. We talked about in the um, summary that he at some point does kiss another girl, mm-hmm. um, you know, that and Kath sees that 
they're not together at that point or anything, but she feels very betrayed by that. I also think we should clarify uh, defensively by Stuart, who is great. He and Reagan are not actually dating for like oh, yeah, yeah, part yeah. of this book. They were like high school sweethearts and Kath just kind of pre- presumes that um, they're dating because he's always in their room and always hanging out with Reagan, but they broke up, you know, their freshman year of college and they're still like really, really good friends. Um, yeah. But uh, so he, he, one of their impediments is that Kath feels this, a lot of guilt about liking Levi because she thinks that he's still connected to uh, Reagan in that way and he's not. Um, but, you know, I think what is 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 great about Levi is like as we've talked about already, he's just really accepting of her a follow-up to that. Um, again, I, this is using the word crazy, which I don't love and it's kind of take issue with, but um in that same quote as I was just reading about where she was saying how she doesn't trust anybody, um, Levi like takes what she says about being concerned someone's gonna get tired and, and take off and he thinks about it and he's just like, that's crazy. She goes, I know exactly I am crazy. And eventually he's just like, you know, it, he says, it's okay if you're crazy and shows you don't even know. And he goes, I don't have to know I'm rooting for you. Yeah. That's just really what you need sometimes is someone to just be totally accepting and, and just rooting for you just someone to be on your side. And not somebody that isn't necessarily like trying to fix you or understand you completely because they can't, if they don't, you know, feel that in that way. Right. Um, but it's important to, like, really all you need is somebody on your side, somebody that yeah. just wants you to succeed and feel and, better. And, like, I think it's important to, you know, that Kath does have Ren. Um, that is a bond that no matter what, no matter how awful they are to each other, they're always going to be there for each other and find their way back to each other. But I think it's important to have someone who, love of you is not conditioned on a familial relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I heard once, you know, that even like your parents love of you is conditional because they're your, you're their kid or, you know, they, they have this familial connection to you, but to find someone who doesn't have that and still chooses to accept everything about you is, is really important. Um, and so he, he, he is a, a key part of mm-hmm. her eventually being able to, start to let go yeah. and start to be herself a little bit more. Um, so yeah, he's, he's, he's great. But I think also she and Ren ultimately do become friends again. They, they start hanging yeah. out again after Ren um, has her, her hospitalization. She, you know, ultimately starts to kind of turn things around and gets really into um, helping Kath towards mm-hmm. the finish line of, of publishing. I love when Ren comes back into the fold, like really into Kath's life because we don't see that from Ren in the beginning. Um, she's introduced as kind of being estranged and kind of being a dick. But then when you see when she comes back, when she, you know, she's hit her rock, her rock bottom and she's coming back and she's in Kath's life again and you see what that relationship was before the estrangement. And then you're like, okay, so this is what Kath was missing. Like, this is, this was a huge, a huge hole. Yeah. Yeah. And she, you know, she, she starts helping with the fic again and, and is, is, is really involved in it and she's writing with her. Um, and she's, there's a lot of, I like their interesting back and forth too about whether or not Simon and Baz will get their happy ending. 
um, and whether Kath kind of wants to kill off Baz because she thinks it'd be like this ultimate redemption arc and Ren's like, no, you mm-hmm. can't do that. And I do think that that is one part of the the parallel stories that is kind of interesting because it's left open-ended in the book from, we don't know how Kath chooses to end her fic. Um, but I, I like that because it's for Kath, we don't know how things are going to go for her uh, yeah. going forward. Um, and I think that I love how this book ties up because ultimately, um, Kath is faced kind of with this decision towards the end of the last semester, last couple weeks of the semester. She either um, it, it can rush, rush, rush to try to finish her version of the fic um, before the last Simon Snow book comes out a couple weeks after that semester ends, or she can turn her attention to this uh, short story, 10,000 word short story she has to write for her fiction class. Um, so I think like just a little bit of background on that. So she her their dad has this manic, episode and is um, hospitalized towards the end of the fall semester. And Kath has been avoiding this, this writing prompt for this seminar taught by this teacher who gave her an F for the, the plagiarism because she just, she doesn't have any interest in writing anything unique. She just. Right. Once that happened too, she just kind of gave up on the class. Correct. And she, um, then their dad's hospitalized and she misses finals and everything. And she doesn't hand in her, her, final assignment she's like whatever i'll get a c or whatever it averages out she's not there and she gets her grades and she has an incomplete and she goes to the professor and is like why do i have an incomplete and she's like i think you're a really promising talent but you know i it's i want you to write this i'll give you the chance to do it as an independent study this semester and i can grade it later and kath doesn't she still doesn't want to do it she goes back and forth all semester eventually says she's going to do it um and then it's literally like the end of the semester and her and Levi's like only fight of the book at this point they're dating and she's just like, Oh yeah, I'm not going to do it. And he's like, what do you mean? You're not like, how are you going to like not take this opportunity to do it? And what she ends up doing is she ends up not finishing her Simon fic and she hands in a story that is very much about her life and how she is going to, um, come out and start being herself again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she, she wins like a prize for it at the university. Yeah. So she's like published in their literary, uh, magazine or newsletter or whatever it is. Right. So I just, I really love how that ends up shaking out in terms of she still has, she acknowledges she's like, Simon will always be there, but it's time now for me to, to start, living my life. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I love the metaphor of it. It's all about finding that balance of things that bring you joy and also not relying them on a crutch as a crutch. And I think it's just really done well. Yeah, I agree. Um, so those are kind of like the big yeah. themes. Well, I think of- another thing contributing to her kind of reluctance to write this original fiction is like we mentioned in the summary uh, she had that writing partner that she was oh, really yeah. into for a while. Yeah, we should probably talk about Nick. Um, yeah. So she had this writing partner, and they were meeting up every Tuesdays and Thursdays, I think, in the library and um, writing together. And they worked really well together because she sort of reined in his super cliche male writer tendencies. Um 
with his like overly flashy writing style. Um, and uh, he got her to kind of branch out more a little bit, but it became pretty clear that like she was developing a crush on him and he was kind of using her for her writing abilities and mm-hmm. her inspiration. And because she made him, you know, a 10,000 times better writer. Yeah. Yeah. And then he had, they're writing this story for fun and he hands it in as his yeah, final as assignment. His, as his assignment. Yeah. Nick sucks. We hate Nick. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I, so I think it's really interesting, like how Kath's relationship with boys kind of develops throughout the novel. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> so in the beginning, she is, you know, ostensibly dating Abel from her hometown, mm-hmm. and um, but I mean, she gets to college and she's like, oh, I should text Abel, and then she's like, eh, I'll do it later. And then later on, you'll see where she's, you know, looking at her phone. She's like, oh, I got two, you know, texts from Abel. Eh, I won't even look at them. You know, and they talk to each other occasionally, but it's all very like, you know, barely even friends, like more like acquaintances, you know, I think Ryan calls him like an end table. Yeah. An end table. Like he's obviously just a boyfriend to have a boyfriend. And I think for for him, it's the same. You know, she is a girlfriend to have a girlfriend. You know, what was it? He gave her like a a char, like a laptop charger for her birthday or something like these two are not romantic. But once they break up, she's kind of set free in a way that she hasn't been before because I think when she started dating Abel, she probably just wasn't really that interested in dating or, mm-hmm. you know, romance when it wasn't in, you know, Simon Snow. And so she didn't really have that experience, you know, and then she was just dating Abel. So when they broke up, she got kind of let loose. And I think she describes herself as being boy crazy for essentially the first time in her life and it's really great just you know she's just like i am just noticing boys just noticing everything and i really like that for her i think that was that was really important for her and that happened before she got involved with levi because i don't like it when it's like you know one true soulmate and i've never dated anyone else but this one person and i'm head over heels and i'm gonna be with them forever it's realistic it's kind of silly right but yeah and like Nick is like a stepping stone to that because she likes him and then he's like a huge douche in terms right. of this story. There is a nice, very like full circle moment though. And I'm so proud of her at the end. He, so the, the professor figures out that like Nick turned in a piece that he and Kath wrote together because her, her style's all over it. And Nick comes to her at the end of the book and is like, you have to, you know, I want to submit it for this prize, but like, I have to put your name on it. And she's like, no. And he's like, can you please talk to the professor? She, you know, he was her like teaching assistant and she fired him because of this issue. And Kath's just like, absolutely not. Um, yeah. She stands her ground. Yeah. And it's, that's a, another really great, uh, a full circle moment. And just in terms of how much she's grown and we love to see it. Yeah, I love it for her too because while she's having this confrontation with Nick, she's got Levi and Ren and Reagan all standing behind her, just kind of like, you know, like they they've got her back and she's yeah. got her her family, her little team. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I just wanted to mention that I don't know if any of you like audiobooks, but um Rebecca Lohman, she does a lot of the Rainbow Rowell books in audio and she is fantastic just completely unparalleled she really captures the the kind of melancholy 
like aching tone of Rainbow Rowell books uh, just beautifully. So I would highly recommend if you are an audiobook person, you should listen to the ones that Rebecca Lohman narrates for Rainbow. Yeah. Um, I think one thing too, before we just kind of do a wrap up of things that we really like is I think we do wanted to briefly mention some of the discussion of um, character, characters who aren't uh, non-white characters in this book. Um, there are a lot of kind of uncomfortable references to um, Mexican characters in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, Abel, Kath's boyfriend at the beginning of the book is, is, um, is Mexican and she like makes some uncomfortable comments about him. And then she also just like the first time she meets Bren's boyfriend, she like says like, he looked Mexican. It's, it's very slight. Um, very few instances, but you know, we wanted to acknowledge, you know, that we are really aware of the fact that there are some problems with rainbow Rowell's writings, mm-hmm. not, not this book in particular is, it is not flagged as having a lot of these issues, but arguably her most famous book is, is Eleanor and Park, um, which, uh, one of the two main characters is, is Korean, and she writes from his perspective and there's a lot of um, really problematic things in, in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that is for and me. Also some of the stuff in this book feels kind of like um, cultural tourism a little yeah. bit uh, and, and like kind of like a, a weird, I don't know, there's like a, an exoticism of Mexican culture a little bit in this book, which feels really weird. It is, like you said, it's a, it's small, but it's it's kind of sprinkled in here and there, and uh, it's just something to you know be aware of. Yeah, and you know we, I don't know that we'll ever talk about Eleanor and Park on this podcast. I don't feel like we're equipped to talk about it in length now and the issues with it, but you know it is something that I wish Rainbow would acknowledge as an issue with some of her her stuff. Um, you know, I think based on you know following her on Twitter, she has a sense of these issues. But she's never come out and said, yeah, this was like, I would do this differently. I mean, this book is from 2013. People can adapt and change. Um, right. But I, I, I would like to see some of that from her sometime. And it, it's yeah. a much smaller. Acknowledging it is an important step there. Yeah. And it's much, again, it's a much smaller issue in this book compared to um, Eleanor and Park. But, you know, we just wish she would uh, eventually address it. So hopefully maybe someday she will. Yeah. Um, okay. In terms of wrap up, we, we were thinking about how we would end these episodes every uh, every time we talk about a book. And um, as we said in our introduction episode, we are fangirls at heart. We love to gush about these things. I, I am very proud of us how much we reined it in during this discussion. Um, but we do want to talk about a couple of our favorite things in this book. Let's start with a favorite quote. Tasia, do you have one? Um, I do. I have a couple. So this is one where. Um, Kath is kind of thinking to herself where uh, Levi is asking her about how, you know, writing stories. And she thinks to herself, they weren't just, uh, they were just stories, but stories weren't just anything. And I think, you know, for any book lover, that's, that's going to stand out. And then there's another one where she's, (laughs) where she's just thinking about or looking at Levi, you know, and she says, God, his chin, she wanted to make an honest woman of his chin. She wanted to lock it down. (laughs) That is so, I, when she finally like realizes how into Levi she is and she's just like all over him, 
It's, she's it's just great. like obsessed. I mean, she just will sit and stare at him forever, yeah. and I love it. Yeah. Um, my favorite quotes, I have a serious one, and then I have a funny one too. Um, so one quote I liked was, to really be a nerd, she decided you had to prefer fictional worlds to the real one. And I like that because I think ultimately this book is about finding a balance between the real world and the fictional world. And you can have that preference, but you still have to live your life. And Kath gets there. We're all still struggling to get there. Um, but hopefully we all will get there. Um, and then this quote just made me laugh because as we mentioned in our introduction episode, we are internet friends turned real friends. But um, when Reagan is trying to get Kath to come out of her shell and is you know concerned about her, she's always in the room. And she's like, do you even have friends? And Kath goes, I have lots of friends. And Reagan goes, I never see them. And Kath goes, I just got here. Most of my friends went to other schools or they're online. And then Reagan goes, internet friends don't count. And I object to that, Reagan. <laughs> They do count. In your face, Reagan. Yeah, in your in your face. Um, <laughs> on that note, uh, favorite character. Um, I think we do we have the same we one. We have the same answer for this, so you go you go for it. Yeah, so um we both said Reagan, uh mainly because uh, she's great. Um also we're gonna talk more about Levi in a second, <laughs> uh, who might actually be my favorite character, but I just Reagan is um, she's super sarcastic. She's super funny. She ends up being a really good friend to Kath. One of the things I really love is there's a really frank discussion between Kath and Reagan about uh, the fact that Reagan and Levi used to be a thing and they were each other's like first love. And, and Reagan, you know, talk, sets up some ground rules. She's like, here's what I want. I don't want to know any of these things, blah, blah, blah. But she also acknowledges that like, yeah, I might be jealous sometime and I'm going to work on it. And I just think it's yeah. like, really evolved. I do too. She's like, I'm, you know, like acknowledging I'm going to feel this way sometimes. And, you know, maybe you're just going to have to deal with it for a second, but I'll get over it and it's going to be fine. Exactly. Compared to like the petty backstabbing stuff that women unfortunately do a lot of times. It's just, it's really nice to see. Um, I also, yeah. <laughs> she's also so funny. Like at one point, like Cash She's like- so funny. Kath wakes up and like Reagan's staring at her and she's like, have you been watching me sleep? And Reagan just responds, yes, Bella. And I like love a Twilight reference like that because Edward Cullen loves to watch Bella's on sleep. Um, so that was. Yeah. I love Reagan because she's like, like her way of making friends is just kind of to bully them a little bit until they like her. And it completely works on Kath when it kind of shouldn't because she feels kind of mean at first, especially because Kath is so internal and she's so introverted. But it it works because she gets Kath to step out of her shell a little bit. She gets her to kind of like, you know, make fun of people with her. And, you know, they just have, they have fun together. And they end up choosing in the end when Ren is like, you know, next year, let's be roommates. Um, And Kath ends up choosing to stay with Reagan. Yeah. Which I think is a huge step for her and her independence. Yeah. Um, And then I think, you know, another thing we want to talk about was our favorite arc through the story mm-hmm. and we've talked a lot about Kath's arc and it's great I do just have a real soft spot for for Ren's arc I do too, yeah um because as we talked about like sometimes you know my behavior as a youth might have been more akin <laughs> to Ren's um and you know it, it's really interesting to kind of like sit back and think it's like oh did I go out all the time when I was that age because I was like trying to avoid you know the anxiety I felt about being away at school or anything like that um and so I just, I like where she, she finds a good place at the end in terms of embracing her enjoyment of, of Simon Snow um, and having her, her own life. And that's really, that's really good too. 
Um, yeah. I think this will be like, we'll maybe call it in honor of our first book that we covered. Um, we'll call this the fan, our favorite fangirl moments, like the fangirl section um, that allows us just to kind of gush unabashedly about yeah. what we love about this book. So this is the Levi section. Let's talk about it. <laughs> He's just so good. I mean, so good. literally from like one of the first things he does in this book is Kath is like going to write with this douchebag Nick at the library and they stay there until the library closes at midnight. And Levi's like, well, you know, call me when you're done. I'm, you know, I'll come walk you home because midnight is a huge campus. And the first time she does it, she calls her room uh, where Levi said to call because he's like, I'll be there with Reagan. And she calls and she tells Reagan, like, tell him not to come. Like, I'm walk- I'm going to run home. Like, it'll be fine. And she's like, oh, no, he left as soon as the phone rang. <laughs> it's like literally from the first moment, like, everything he does is. Yeah. And I think lovely. the first time he sees, he sees Nick and he's like, you know, how come he's never walked you home? And she's like, well, I've never asked. And he's like, you know, she's like, and I never asked you either. And he's like, well, that's true. But like, <laughs> yeah. when you're doing when you're doing that that comparison, you know, Nick does not come out shining right. at yeah. all. There's, and I also just love the difference between them. Like, there's a moment where they go bowling, Reagan and Levi and Kath, and <laughs> Levi's just talking to everyone in the bowling alley. Kath says something like, "No, they were the only people under forty in the bowling alley," but that didn't stop Levi from talking to everyone everyone and eventually she goes I think there was a baby over there you forgot to talk to him. and he goes there's a baby where <laughs> he's, just, he's like, so adorable yeah and like he smiles and she's like turn that thing off <laughs> yeah exactly you don't need your charm bomb yeah. right now um I think ultimately like one of my favorite full circle swoon worthy moments is the first time he meets Ren Ren is like very different uh they're identical twins but she's got like short hair and she just like dresses and not Simon she Snow clothes. Wear glasses. Yeah. yeah. So she's like, quote unquote, the hot twin. Yeah. She doesn't wear glasses. And so, you know, Kath makes a comment about how Levi is like, you know, the first time he meets Ren, he's kind of like gobsmacked by her. But then he refers to Kath as like, you're, you're the Clark Kent. And then later at the end of the book, she, he's like, why don't they're together? She's like, why? He's like, why don't we hang out with Ren a lot? Like why, you know, I, you guys are fine now. I, I want to get to know her better. And Cass, like, I'm worried that if you get to know her, like, you're going to choose her. Like, you're going to like her more than you like me. And he just, you know, says, you know, the things I like about Ren are because they remind me of you. Like, it, and it's, it's fascinating to me to see her say things, but it's your voice and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, I love you for the differences. And I choose you over everyone. Yeah. Yeah. He's so good. So good. Um, but yeah, so any, any additional, uh, yeah, I had, I mean, my favorite swoon moment of this book was probably their first kiss. And it was when, cause it was a good moment in general. Um, she finds out that Levi isn't a good reader. He's like severely dyslexic. Um, he has a really hard time in classes, which kind of which shines her in a bad light for her previous statements being like, you know, him saying he wasn't a big reader and she's like, oh, that's the most idiotic thing I've ever heard or something. Yeah. And, I mean, when the truth is that, you know, he's got a learning disability and it's really hard for him. And so when she, when he's laying around on headphones, you know, and she thinks he's listening to music, he's listening to 
recordings of his lectures or audiobooks for class. So uh, he has to read this, this book for class, uh, The Outsiders, and there's no copies of it, you know, or he can't read it fast enough in you know written form yeah, to get the like assignment quiz done or something yeah yeah and there's no audiobooks available and then once he kind of tells you know he finally tells Kath that he has a really hard time with reading and she feels really you know rightfully she feels really bad for the way that she's talked to him and accused him of being lazy and so she reads the book for him out loud all night and then at the end both of them are just kind of like so drowsy, so tired. Her voice is just all messed up from reading all night. And that's when they have their first kiss and it is like chef's kiss. It's so it good. Great. It's so good. And then they fall asleep like that. And yeah, uh, so good. it's real, it's real good. It's real cute. I love them. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that is one of the things I really like about their relationship. And we didn't talk a ton about like Kath's kind of snobbish you know, yeah, she not, she has snobby tendencies. Yeah, mm-hmm. thing. But she ultimately realizes that you know I, that's why Levi I think is a good balance because she realizes you know Levi is smart and he has a lot to offer. Um, just it's because he doesn't read um, doesn't mean that he's not uh, worthy of, of spending her time with. And you know, yeah, they're, just, they're great. Um, yeah, and I, I I think you know Levi's not totally perfect. He definitely has some like very like corn fed Midwestern like sense of of morals in terms of like he, you know, they have a fight at one point about who's going to carry her laundry basket and, you know, yeah, he's, he's insistent very that he insistent. does it. And it's like, you know, dude, if she wants to carry her laundry, let her carry her own laundry, yeah. you know? Yeah. And also there's a moment when they are in a bar, like she goes to kind of try to rescue her sister at the bar and some random drunk dude notices that, Hey, there's identical twins here. Hey, that's the ultimate fantasy. And, Levi kind of goes off on him, which is great in the beginning because he's like, you know, fuck off flowers in that attic. Like, like, this is incest. What is wrong with you? Yeah. And then, uh, and but then he gets into like, you know, these girls have parents. You know, no father should ever have to sit at home worrying about, you know, some pervert trying to make his daughters, you know, debase themselves. And I'm like, ugh. Just, yeah no we don't I, we don't like that no and i think it's don't very make it much, about their father and it's yeah. about them you know yeah i think you know levi we didn't talk about this but he like grew up on a, a ranch he's studying like ranch management he's very much like just a, a different way of, of growing up and i like to think that eventually he becomes more enlightened as he is with um kath who is you know they there's a lot of differences drawn between like the the farm lifestyle ranch lifestyle versus like omaha which is a decently sized city and hopefully um omaha or beyond for them um opens levi up to some yeah progressive ways of thinking we still love him um we do uh i think one of the things we want to mention also is if you're craving more kath and levi um this is i guess a minor spoiler for one of rainbow rowell's adult books landline um do you want to tell uh them a little bit about what we can find in landline so Landline is a great book, first of all. I think it's my favorite out of all Rainbow Rowells, which is, you know, uh, a big deal. So um, there's this part towards the end. I'm not going to spoil any of Landline, but there's this part towards the end where one of the characters is kind of rushing to go uh, meet up with somebody. And 
she gets kind of and it's like Christmas. She's stuck at the airport. She doesn't have a ride from the airport to it's this a huge house. Snowstorm. Yeah, huge snowstorm. She, uh, you know, there's no taxis or anything. But one of the people that was on her flight is described as this tall, lanky, blonde guy with the receding hairline who's like very friendly, smiles a lot, offers her his phone charger, you know. And um, so he's on her same flight. And then when they get to the airport, a girl is there waiting for him and she runs and she, you know, jumps on him. And, you know, they're obviously very excited to be reunited. And then him being him invites this character to get a ride with them and that they'll drop her off. And, and his, uh, what is noted is her, is his fiance because she's wearing a ring. Um, it's just kind of like, Oh yeah, no, this is just him. You know, you have to let him save you because that's just how he is. And it is 100% Levi and Kath. And this takes place, I think two years after fangirl and they are engaged. Yeah, Rainbow has confirmed it. So um, there's no fangirl sequel. There's no plans for a fangirl sequel, I don't think. But we do get that glimpse of them and they're together. And that just makes my heart really happy. Um, but what is coming out soon, though, is, is really cool. They are um, releasing in multiple volumes a, a manga version of, of fangirl. So like a comic version. Um, there's a free preview on Oh, whatever the publisher's website is, but it's, it looks really cool. Um, and the first volume actually comes out, I think like October 13th or something. So that's coming out soon. If you want more fangirl, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited for it too. Um, and I think that that is probably a good point to make our next book announcement. Uh, Tasha, would you like to do the honors? Yeah. So next week we are going to be talking about carry on and wayward son by rainbow Rowell. Uh, this is not the, for anyone who doesn't know, this is not Kath's fan fiction. This is a separate Simon Snow and Baz story. So it goes in different directions than you might expect from re- reading this book. But, yeah. you know, I think Rainbow just fell so much in love with Simon and specifically Baz that she felt compelled to write them their own story. And it is, uh, they are the first two books in a planned trilogy. The next one isn't out yet. So we're just going to talk about the two books in one episode and we're going to have a very special guest with us we are um so tune in next week when we when we talk about that uh before we go tejo where can people find you on the internet um on twitter and instagram i am at ragey cakes and i'm on instagram at rin underscore reads and the podcast can be found at actia age on instagram and twitter and if you have any email questions, concerns, suggestions. We're at actiaagepod at gmail.com. That's A-C-T-Y-A-A-G-E. All right. Until next week. Bye, friend. See you then. Bye.